Welcome back to School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, joined once again this week by Matthew Chandler and another RBM uh, writer and contributor, uh, Brian Foley. Brian, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you guys doing today? Pretty well. Pretty good. Matthew, how about you? Um, I would have been even better had Evan ended the, the tenure derby drought on Saturday, but... Yeah. Um, under the circumstances, yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah, no, absolutely, and we'll get right into that. We'll hop right into it. Uh, obviously, first thing we're going to talk about, probably the most important thing we're going to talk about today, um, the Derby, Everton, and Liverpool drawing uh, 2-2. Um, big ups to the pod, who all predicted 2-2 as the final score. So, uh, good job by us. Um, there were two cha- two changes from the Brighton win. Um, Allen and Gomesh in um, in the midfield. Obviously, they were injured, so they were not available for that Brighton matchup. Um, otherwise, basically the same lineup that we've been trotting out there um, every single week in the Premier League. Um, obviously, Mane scoring on the third minute, and then Keane in the 19th, Salah in the 72nd, and uh, DCL in the 81st to uh, round out the scoring. Um, a lot of talking points in this one, so let's get right to it. Obviously, Mane scores the um, the opener, and then not um, long after, Pickford uh, goes in to try and, I guess, you know, however you interpret it, uh, you know, whether it be closed down Van, Van Dyke, um, you know, whether he's going in there uh, viciously, we'll talk about it, but um, eventually causes an ACL injury. On Van Dyke, no red card, no foul. Um, the decision was because was he was offside, um, so Everton got the free kick off of it. Apparently, VAR did check for red card. They ruled that it was not a red card. Um, Brian, we'll start with you. Correct decision? I don't think that Pickford is uh, is isn't allowed. Excuse me uh, to come out for that ball, and I don't think it's a red. Um, one because he is off offsides. Um, although um, I I would like to see him even from a goalkeeper's just perspective. I think being a little lower to the ground, uh, it's a very Jordan Pickford esque situation. Um, and I and I don't think it's a red because it is a very goalkeeper specific specific situation. You know, to people saying, well, you know, he, he jumps in uh, jumps into his knee. Well, you know, when the, when a keeper goes down and, and grabs, uh, you know, and, and takes out a player's foot, that kind of deal, um, you know, it has to be judged on a on a kind of a different scale, if you will. Um, I, I understand the, the argument about it being slightly different for goalkeepers, but um, I would still say it's, it's a red just because um, I don't I don't doubt. No part of me thinks Pickford meant to do it. Like I don't, I don't believe for one second there was any intent there. In the same way that, as we'll get on to probably later, I think there probably was in Richardson's tackle on Thiago. Um, but for me, it's just it's reckless. It's you know terribly mistimed. Um, and you know whether again whether he meant to or not, he has endangered Van Dyke's safety there. So um, you know, I again, I, I'm not saying. It was it was intentional, but I think you've got to look at the the recklessness of it and say, you know, on balance, maybe he deserves a red. 
I I can only assume that he didn't get further punishment because of Van Dyke's offside, but I don't really know if that played a big part. I mean, it's still reckless play whether or not it's you know involved in the active passage of play or not. Um, but what I find weirder about this is, is kind of the aftermath of it in the way that Pickford's kind of been taught. And I wrote about this yesterday, but like how Pickford's been the target of this sort of um, this sort of witch hunt. Let's Sorry, let's, let's let's get into Richarlison's red because I feel like we can talk about yeah, yeah, both sure. of them together yeah, um, sure. because there has been extreme fallout from both of the both of the incidents. Um, you know, obviously, um, Matthew, you noted here any other notable incidents uh, from an Everton perspective. Obviously, we'll talk about that as well. But Richarlison's red card on Tiago obviously goes yeah. in there, um, goes in there high, takes out Tiago, gets a red card. Um, Correct decision, Matthew. We'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, the Charleston one is is definitely a red for me because he doesn't need to do it. It's malicious. He's again, it, it's a big statement to say he's going in there with the intent to, to harm, but I don't think there was any intent. At least I don't think there was any intent attempt for him to play the ball there. You know, he went for the man, and you can tell by how high his foot is on Thiago's shin that he wasn't trying to play the ball. Um, so yeah, but Richardson has, I mean, at least apologised. But again, I just find this kind of the aftermath of it in the way that, you know, Richardson obviously, you know, it seems that he was kind of subjected to some pretty awful racist abuse on after the game, which obviously been stamped, which been called out and deleted since off, off Twitter. But the the Pickford thing is weird just because. Um, <laughs> It's almost like Liverpool fans have never seen Jordan Pickford before in how just kind of <laughs> idiosyncratic, um, just how weird, how mad he is. Like, this is, this is unfortunately the kind of thing that you would, you would probably associate with Jordan Pickford just because of how unorthodox a goalkeeper he is. He, you know, he will dive to catch balls by doing scissor kicks through, people, through you know, people's midriffs. That's just unfortunately what Jordan Pickford is. And... Liverpool fans really should know that better than anyone else, to be honest, given the way he's played against them in the last few years. Like, you know, catching a ball that's going over the crossbar or, you know, fumbling a corner or, you know, letting Divock Origi round him twice last season. Um, so, again, you know, Pickford had such a weird game on Saturday, didn't he? And we'll get on to probably some of the brighter spots from later. Um, but in terms of this, I think probably the right. I mean, he's not going to get any retrospective ban because they've just said this afternoon there's, there's no, there's nothing coming that that way for him. But um, probably the right thing would have been, I think, send him off. But also, you know, for Liverpool fans, I never want to acknowledge that there wasn't a real sort of malice. You know, some people say that he assaulted him, which is just not. It could not be further from the truth. Really, it's not an assault. It's just a, a clumsily. Clumsily timed, you know, reckless challenge, uh, which unfortunately, and we should say unfortunately because you know, like like any Liverpool fans goading Pickford, any any Everton fans sort of celebrating Van Dijk's injury is also pretty shameful. You know, he's the unfortunate yeah. casualty in this, but I think to sort of vilify Pickford the way that he seems to have been on on social media since has been has been out of order really. Because again, I don't. I don't attach a lot of blame to Pickford. I just think it's unfortunate what happened. And, and I would say, to that end, I think Richarlison's is a worse challenge than Pickford's. 
because I think there is more attempt there than Pickford. I don't know if, Brian, you agree with that? Absolutely. I think he had way more time to think about what he was doing. And as you said, you know, and, and as I um, referenced earlier, I give a lot of credence to the idea that it could be a red card. I really do. I, you know, I just, again, have, you know, had that perspective. It was Richarlison. You know, that's something you have time to think about. It wasn't even like a reach out lunge where the ball's near him. You know, he got a good running start, had time to assess the situation. Could have even, you know, pull, pulled out of it half a second earlier uh, in, in at least taking away some of the, uh, uh, the possible, um, the possible uh, opportunity to injure your opponent. And like you said, it wasn't a, uh, I didn't, I don't think he went in with the intent to injure uh, but you are required to go in to make sure to avoid situations in which somebody can, you know, suffer uh, a, a graver injury, if you will. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and then with Pickford, um, I'm sure maybe I don't know if we're gonna get into his uh, his mindset later or not, if, if we're gonna dive into that. But I think the thing with Pickford is the what what's so um, dramatic this year is the way that his mindset now is in contrast with somebody like Carlo Ancelotti and what he's brought to so many other players. Do you know, like just that calm, hey, we'll just take the situation and we'll go. And you've seen that, how it's improved, um, you know, Michael Keane, Yerimina to a degree. We can talk about maybe not the degree this weekend of the decision-making. Um, but it wasn't but, – but his mistakes even haven't been, you know, lack of attention or things like that. It, it was a poor decision. Um, or as you feel with Pickford, uh, the imbalance between emotion and focus, uh, sometimes can be so, uh, so dramatic. And it's something that you just don't, it's such, it feels like it's such a key characteristic of a goalkeeper and something that we would hope when he signed, what, three, four, and it feels like he's been here for a long time now, three years ago, uh, that he would have, uh, you know, matured. And in some ways it seems almost as if he's regressed in some of the mental aspects, but then he goes and makes some of those saves in the second half. And you're like, Oh, I can't stand you. But that was, you know, the, but then he does the same exact thing with the focus, like on the free kick where they try to, you know, they try to get him to step to his left because of the walkover assuming, and yet he holds his ground. And it and it leaves him open to make the save to his right, and I think that 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 was a pretty key, uh, you know, that that's a good reflection of when he is focused and in the moment. Yeah, and I'm sure we all agree that this kind of idea that he should be banned for as long as Van Dyke is injured is just total complete nonsense. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I mean, I, I was gonna ask because is this something that ha- like I mean, I don't think this happens in America, at least from like. Like with football, for example, like Dak Prescott got injured the other day and he's out for, you know, probably the rest of the season. Like, is this something that happens like in a lot of areas of football, like where there's these rash fans who are starting petitions and peaceful protests and stuff like that because a guy got, you know, got injured or or is this, you know – I don't know. I don't, I, like, I, I feel like this is kind of crazy, just seeing all the reaction to it. Like, obviously, Van Dyke got injured, but, I mean, it's not like we yeah. were organizing peaceful protests when Gomesh got no. injured to Sun. Obviously, we had no. a, a problem with it, but we weren't going that far. 
No, and the narrative was a lot different, I think, from the mainstream media after that, um, yeah. in terms of, you know, where sort of sympathy lay and things like that. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, Everton Liverpool is obviously a very heated rivalry, but, like, I, I wrote in my piece that, like, as well, we've seen times before where they really, like, shown a lot of togetherness and, you know, a lot of the sort of goading and things can be quite sort of good-natured and funny, like, you know, singing... That Liverpool lost the league at Goodison Park, or them teasing us about how long we haven't won a trophy for, and things like yeah. that. That's fine. And you know, you saw how sort of how much of a United front Everton showed uh, with Liverpool in things like Hillsborough. Um, yeah. You know, you watch the '84 uh, Cup final between Everton and Liverpool in the League Cup, um, and there are you know both sets of fans at Wembley singing Merseyside, Merseyside, Merseyside. So. Um, Kind of two sides of the coin, of the coin really. But this, I don't really know. I, I don't see any real parallels with many other sports teams or sports rivalries. I mean, I don't know what it's like for you guys, like in, on the on the American scene in other sports as well. But um, it just seems bizarre. I mean, it's so out of proportion with what is, you know, really something ultimately as trivial as a football match, not least yeah. in, the middle, in the middle of a pandemic. For God's sake, like. But I also think you make the point, this is also, and we're not getting into the, uh, you know, the impact of, <laughs> of but, but people being in their homes, you know, and, and not, you're not at the, the game, they're not in the streets. I'm not saying that, that but, but, you know, even that physical expression of being at the, the pitch and being able to shake your fists in the air and, you know, punch the guy next to you and be frustrated in that moment. And then you've got to go home and deal with real life again. Yeah. And it's really kind of coming together. Like, you know, and you sit there and you're, you know, you're responding on your phone while you're watching the game. You know, and then he's posting it, it all kind of, you know, and, and not to say it was any better, you know, that much better. But I think if you're going to, you really have seen a rise in the uh, the number of people feeling maybe comfortable expressing some of those views in that way. So, you know, um, and, and I'm not trying to, to, to leverage to get people back into the stadiums, but I do think that is when people are sitting at home all game, you know. Yeah you feel you got to find a way to express yourself and yeah you know you can't you can't call the guy on the field you know you can't say so and so you're no good or perhaps no. something with even a little bit more you know harshness behind it without being uh too derogatory but when you're at home you know you're just yelling at your tv and you know that has its own uh <laughs> you know that has its own repercussions yeah yeah and its own limits in that they can't actually hear you so it doesn't really make a difference <laughs> Yeah, I know, but that doesn't come on. It doesn't. We all know that doesn't have. That doesn't mean anything. Even if they can, oh. you're still going to scream at my TV. I mean, come oh, on. Yeah, and there's this thing called Twitter now as well, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, in terms of the Pickford challenge, I think I'm on the same line as you guys. Um, I'm not sure Pickford's challenge had much intent to it. Um, I woke up and started watching the game like 15 minutes in because it was like 7:30 in the morning on the East coast here. So I woke up a little later than I wanted to. Um, so I missed the challenge in real time, but I, and I didn't know how they got the goal originally. Um, so when I saw the challenge replayed, I was like, Oh, they must've gotten a penalty here. Like that was my initial reaction. So okay. I think it probably warranted a penalty. I don't know if it warranted a red card, uh, but definitely probably warranted a penalty. Um, obviously for Charleston's was a correct decision to give him a red card. Um, obviously tries to pull out a tiny bit, I think there, but just was so far in the challenge that it didn't matter. And, and, and obviously, um, 
you know, left a lot on, on Tiago there. So, um, you know, obviously difficult. We won't have Richarlison for the next three matches. Um, so uh, that's what Saints, Newcastle, and United, I think. So um, we'll be difficult, and we'll talk. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about how he's replaced a little bit later. But this game was not, uh, not as we can tell, not not uh, you know barren of incidents. Another one to talk about. Another talking point. Uh, obviously, Henderson's goal that was ruled out um, for offsides on Mane. Um, that would have been the game winner. Obviously, it wasn't, and Everton and Liverpool drew the match. Um, so far is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's. I mean, is it the right decision? Um, you know, Matthew. I guess we'll start with you. I don't know. I don't know because you look at it so many times and you think, no, it's not the right decision because there doesn't seem to be any part of Marnie's body that looks past. I think Ben Godfrey is the last defender. Um, but if you look really, really closely, I think maybe you you could say his arm or his shoulder is, but I mean, you're, you're talking like, you know, the finest of fine details around you. Um, I'm not complaining about the... I'm not complaining about the decision because it went in our favour and obviously VAR is you know, the best thing when it works for you and the worst thing when it goes against you. Um, all I would say is I guarantee you if the shoe was on the other foot and, <clears throat> and you know, Richarlison crosses for a Dominic Calvert-Lewin winner, well, not Richarlison because he was sent off, but, um, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that gets ruled out, then, you know, Every Evertonian everywhere would be up in arms about that and saying, you know, how we've been completely shafted by VAR again. <laughs> so, you know, I think in a fairer world, Liverpool probably would have won that game. Um, <laughs> and also, <laughs> probably feel, I wonder if it feels worse to Liverpool because, you know, I don't want to pick on Pickford, but it's like it's such a, it's such an easy it should be such a comfortable save for him to make that had Pickford just saved that. There would have been no sort of I don't know, problem in that bothered about you know that missed a missed late chance, whereas because the way it transpired is so bizarre, uh, probably just makes it harder to stomach. Um, is it the correct decision? Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, but I, you know, I don't work in Stockley Park. I don't draw lines on the screen for a living, so. I'm probably not quite. I'm not qualified to answer your question, basically, Gino. <laughs> Brian, how about you? Well, um, I mean, if they say he's offsides, he's offsides, and we go. <laughs> as far yeah, as I'm well concerned, done. but you know, yeah. th- those gentlemen are just doing a fantastic job out there. I, I really <laughs> haven't seen anything that's been questionable, you know. But but I think that really addresses also, you know, one people's concern that like. What are we going to talk about when there's a VAR? You know, like, what's going to be debatable? It's just debatable in another sense. We're just debating it. You know, if they would have, if we would have rewatched that, we would have been sitting here and VAR did not exist. We'd be going, I think he's offsides. If they would just put a line on the TV, you know, you'd be saying exactly that. And then we're going to debate the decisions of the line on the TV. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think that. But, but we've also been at the end of VAR where Michael Keane steps on somebody's foot like 80 yards away from where oh, the ball is played. Player. Yeah, the Brighton player, you know. And, uh, 
and, and get a PK there. And then that same game, I believe we end up losing when Luca Dean slots away an own goal. And that's the difference between being at the top of the table for me five games in and, you know, suffering. And there's a lot of other variables I know, but like those are those little, those little nuances that, that, you know, help you out in a, uh, in a good season and make a, a bad season uh, seem a little bit longer. So, you know, I think it's, it's such a debatable point. <laughs> I can't lie and say that I did not actually start jumping for joy when, uh, when they took it away. Uh, you know, I was getting texts. I was watching it on my phone uh, because I was out working and uh, text started rolling in because they were watching on TV. So it was like a minute ahead and it was just like, Oh my goodness. Ah, and I'm like, wait, what happened? You know? And you know, all my all my friends always support me whenever they're against Liverpool. <laughs> I guess it depends. That's one thing everybody can get behind, right? Yeah. Like going against Liverpool. So I did see, and, I, and I'm not somebody to, to to bring it up, but Jordan Henderson accused. He said they sometimes bend the lines on the TV, and I've seen it, and I don't know how, but I know they do it. And it's like, wow, like it was a tie. Like things sometimes don't go your way, you know. And <laughs> it, it was interesting to hear, you know, kind of that. That uh, and I'm, again, I don't mean to be somebody to you know I'm, I'm much more to talk about Everton, but it's interesting to see a team deal with side of, with the, the the opposite side of that, right? And that's where I go back to Carlo Ancelotti too, who um, after the game he said his message to the team was like, "We won't be defined by this game today," and so you know whatever happens here isn't going to make us the best team or the worst team, and I think you saw that uh, out on the field and you know. Minus, you know, maybe a couple people wearing gloves and stuff in their decision making. <laughs> no, yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously, by definition of the rule, it probably is offside. Should it be offside? Should, you know, I mean, did the player, the question is, did the player have any advantage at all towards making a play on the ball by being that far offside? And your answer to that would be no. So in reality, you rules probably, are rules, man. Yeah, exactly. Rules are <laughs> rules. In reality, you're probably like as when you're thinking of it logically, if we're being unbiased here, you're probably like, okay, I mean, listen, it's you know, it's it shouldn't have been offsides, but that's the rule. So we have to abide by the rules. So um, you know, obviously it's it's you know we like we've said we've been subject to about 9 million of these it's about time that liverpool you know one var decision doesn't go their way it's it's really okay uh it's not the end of the world like you said brian it was it was a draw um but but yeah i think you know it was correct to rule it out because that is the rule and by definition of the rule he was offside but if we're looking at it unbiasedly you know yeah <laughs> do you know what it reminds it's me of a bit? You know what it reminds me of a bit is um, I don't know if you remember last season, the first game after the restart when Sheffield United played Villa and then they they scored that goal which like went over the goal line but it forgot to turn Hawkeye on or something so goal line technology didn't pick it up. Yeah, that was the um, that was the uh, who was it that scored Aston it? Villa. Aston Villa yeah, right, on Dean Henderson, right? And he like... No, no, it was on... It was the Sheffield United goal on the Villa goalkeeper. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, it was the other way around. And then, obviously, Villa stayed up by, like, one point. So, yeah. Bournemouth, who went down at that expense, were like, 
well, you know, this has cost us a place in Premier League, you know, this error of judgment. And you're like, well, no, because you had 37 other games. That you yeah. Could have won. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if Liverpool, you know, Liverpool are the best team in the league and they have 33 games to make up a three-point gap on Everton, you know, it's not, it's not unassailable, is it? I don't think any of us really expect Everton to finish above Liverpool yet this season. So, but I also um, think, <laughs> I also think the only reason you can have those types of approaches to these games is that when you're playing well, you know, when you know you're bound for another ninth or tenth place, these matches against Liverpool become season-defining to fans in a in a way because you've got nothing else. You know, you're out in the quarterfinals of a league cup and those kind of deals. And now it just feels like all of a sudden our, our perspective is so much larger that we are no longer just looking at single games as, as, you know, markers, if you will, you know, that that's not to say there's not a lot to take away from this, but in five or six weeks, you know, when, when we're debating, how do we end up drawing that one game and, and we still haven't lost. I'm just joking. <laughs> Hopefully that's what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> But the fact we're having that conversation, you know, I can say that not the, the fact that that reality uh, exists even in the smallest percentage, you know, makes these kind of games just feel smaller. You know, now people feel like we have a genuine opportunity at Europe, not a, hey, let's go on a good eight-run game at the end of the season and see if we can catch somebody, you know, in the right time. Now it feels like we can put together a run. Richarlison's out, and we are not running around with our hair on fire, you know, as fans. It's because it feels like, We've got, they're not Richarlison, and we've got to find other solutions. But it feels like we do have some different options that provide different things and a manager who is going to make the adjustments necessary, um, you know, to, to do things and I, to, to make sure that we stay successful in doing the right things, right? So we also have, I mean, how have we gone on this long and not talked about how good Dominic Calvert-Lewin is at soccer? I'm sorry. I just want to. <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel out. like we've, we've been talking. We, there's so many talking points. I know, no, I know. I know. Oh, I know. Dominic Calvert Lewin getting into space to head the ball into the net. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I mean, there were, I guess, probably some other incidents that maybe, you know, we touch upon. Obviously, there's been the big one the, the, that everyone on the Everton side has been talking about. Um, obviously, Andy, I think it was Andy Robertson that, um, you know, seemingly kicked out at, at Allen after he was pushed down by Yerry Mina. Um, you know, again, in real time, I don't think you could know. I didn't notice it in real time. Um, but, you know, it, it does look kind of like a kick out. But, I mean, nothing, I guess, as vicious as the other two tackles um, on the Everton side of the ball. So, but I understand the point, you know, where it's like, all right, if we're going to talk about these these things, you know, we also got to talk about some of the other incidents on your side of the ball as well. So, um, you know, do you guys have anything else to add in terms of notable incidents, that incident? Well, only the, you know, that's what VAR is for, is to, yeah. you know, literally in the title to an assistant referee. It's, you know, his job is to assist the referee. So if the referee misses something, VAR should spot it. And, you know, that Robertson on Allen is, you know, a classic case of something that, should have been brought to who was the ref? Is it David Coote? Or no, he was the no, I can't. I think it was uh, Michael Oliver, right? Michael, yeah. Um, you know, that's the prime example of something that should be brought to his attention. So um, I don't, it's, 
it's not something that I get massively worked up about, like, you know, whether opposition players should have been sent off or not. Maybe, like, if that was in Liverpool's own penalty box and he does that, so, you know, we yeah. had another penalty or things like that, then, you know, you feel more aggrieved. But mm-hmm. um, I kind of struggle to get too upset about things like what Robertson did. I know it's not nice and yeah. it's not, it's not uh, you know, good conduct. I think there was one from Mane or Mina, which seemed like more an act of retribution than anything else from Mane. But I think I think I'm not condoning it, but I'm not condoning any of these challenges. I thought Richardson's was, you know, pretty pathetic to be honest. I think Robertson's was pretty pretty you know unnecessary. Mane's, you know, but there has to be, and also like you do try to find line between you know what I think there's a difference in derbies between what's acceptable there and say games that there isn't a lot of rivalry between the two teams so I think naturally maybe referees let a bit more go Um, obviously you've got to draw the line somewhere but um, you know I guess that's not our job it's not our decision to meet Michael Oliver's and VAR so we can only sit here on podcasts and moan about it yeah no no absolutely it's um, you know there's some difficult decisions to make Um, some calls were made some calls weren't made it's the nature of the sport, I guess. Um, but you're right. I mean, VAR is there to um, assist the referee. So you would hope they do it in certain situations. But, um, you know, now that we're done with all of the incidents and everything that, you know, happened on the pitch that wasn't part of, you know, actually participating in a football match, um, let's talk a little bit about Everton's performance. Uh, Brian, we'll start with you. Thoughts on the performance, standout players, underwhelming players? Uh, yeah, I, I overall thought that we actually, um, played, uh, you know, incredibly well. I know, um, it didn't feel like it at times, but if you look at things like, uh, you know, that we seeded a lot of possession, I think they had like 150 more passes, but 120 of those were in the midfield third. So they only ended up with like 20 or 30 more passes in the attacking third than we did. And so, um, you know, dribbles completed. Uh, the only player on their team who had more than one, that had one successful take on was Tiago. And that was basically him in the middle third, you know, just cutting up poor Andre Gomez, who's just not built for uh, <laughs> taking on all those guys defensively. But when we talk about star players, I think we just have to talk about the the midfield that we have now, the difference that Allen and Decore make. Um, they've really changed us into a completely different squad um, because basically everybody else around them has been outside of Yamez, who we can get to as well. Uh, but those two, I think those two form a form such a solid and complementary pairing that it just allows for so many other things. Um, and, uh, you know, when we talk about being a clutch player, I think Dominic Calvert-Lewin, you have to give it up because – you know, we had some decent opportunities. I think he could have slotted actually maybe one more away. I can't, I don't know how he didn't get a touch on the one, uh, you know, that came through the box and, um, you know, that was in the second half there too. But, uh, you, you know, with a, I'm not going to exaggerate to some world-class midfield, but when you have a world pretty darn good midfield and you have somebody who can score goals, you can really do a lot. And there's now not a team that we can't match up with in the middle of the field, at least Allen is absolutely fantastic. 
it makes me want to tuck my shirt in, you know, all day long. Like I just want to walk around with my shirt tucked in. So people ask me so that I have a reason to bring up Alan in conversation. That's how much of an Alan fan I am. <laughs> just, doesn't it seem like he just puts his sweatpants and a sweatshirt <laughs> on and like goes to bed with his cleats on yeah. and just like gets and <laughs> runs into practice. Like that guy is, and, and again, it goes, but, but he's not just a pure, you know, for example, we all loved Adrisa Gay. Yeah. But the addition, Allen is basically to me the same player with just that added bit of composure before the tackle and on the ball. You know, he switches play on his own uh, from, from deep positions, being able to win just a tight ball. And, and those kind of situations are massive when you have somebody like Yamez Rodriguez, who is playing basically laterally across the field. Everybody else is playing goal to goal. And Yamez is playing just like parked and just moves, you know, kind of moves up and then he moves across the field. And, um, but I go back to Carlo too. He just puts all those pieces together. Um, but for me, Allen and Decore and being able to match up and not have to try to cover for the spine of your team is, is an incredibly massive thing when it comes to matching up against, uh, you know, other teams. It was a good effort by a Liverpool team who's, you know, just had to go to the league leaders and, you know, give it their best shot. They did a good job, but, you know, I'm, uh, I'm happy that we get to spend a few, at least another week uh, at the top of the table. I was, I was happy with the result, mainly because of how the game went. Um, I don't think – I wouldn't say I expected Evan to take the game to Liverpool, but I think especially after Van Dijk went off, you, you're looking at it and thinking, you know, their defence is kind of – I saw someone compare it to like their sort of 2017 defence, like before Van Dijk and Allison came. And it kind of had that sort of hallmark about it. I don't. I was kind of disappointed in a way that we didn't really test Adrian more and apply more pressure on the defense. But I think you've got to give credit to Liverpool as well and say, you know, they really raised the game certainly from last time out against Villa. Um, so overall, I think you've got to be pretty satisfied with the draw. Um, obviously, the unbeaten run stays intact, which I think was the most important thing. And I think you're right in saying that. But game doesn't really define us. I mean, un- unless we end up in a title race with Liverpool where, you know, <laughs> the two Merseyside derbies probably do, which I don't think will happen, to be honest. Sorry. <laughs> um, I I think, you know, you're looking at games more like the next three, Southampton, Newcastle, Man United, and saying they're the games you should probably be looking to pick up maximum points from. Uh, in terms of individual performances, I thought... Um, Pick was such a weird game, wasn't it? Because I know we've already talked about his collision with Van Dijk and then, and then the uh, the Henderson mistake. But in between that, he made three, three fantastic saves. I think, particularly the one from Joel Matip, which is you know really you know a goal bound header where he stretches out an arm and, and manages to clutch it to safety. That was, I mean, actually, actually shouted out, you know, what a save when he made that because just stunned by <laughs> Pickford managing to save that. Um, other than that, I thought Luca, Luca Dean was, you know, just, it's not really a standout player anymore because he, he maintains this sort of consistent level of quality and and his ball for Calvert-Lewin for the goal was exceptional. And, and again, it's just the kind of delivery that you, you just expect from Dean. It's not really a surprise anymore. Um, Michael Keane, I thought, was good again. He's probably been the most improved player, I think, under Ancelotti. Um, and I'd also maybe probably give a shout-out to Ben Godfrey because... 
uh, you know, to make your debut in Merseyside Derby for the team that never wins Merseyside Derbies um, as a, you know, pretty, still pretty young and experienced, what is he, 22-year-old, uh, playing out of position at right back up against, you know, down the same flank that Sadio Mane and Robertson, you know, occupy. Um, I thought he did a really, really sterling job at sort of nullifying their threat and um, really impressed by sort of first viewing we got Godfrey and Everton shirt. Um, on the other side, I thought, obviously, Andrew Gomez kind of struggled through the game and, and sort of, you know, he, had, he sort of bore that sort of look of a very sort of, someone who's had a very heavy, heavy night on the ale and is sort of staggering around in the morning trying to shake off a really horrible hangover. Um, and I was kind of disappointed with Gary Mina as well, I didn't think. He, he, I think Gary Mina's been good this season, but I think he, he still has these odd games in him where he, his sort of erratic nature can be to his detriment. You see how it can be his sort of greatest strength in games like Crystal Palace the other week. But then on on Saturday, I thought it was one of his worst games for us. Certainly, you know, if he clears that with his other foot, I think that cross that Salah scores from. I mean, it's a great finish for Salah, but you look at him and if he hits it with his other foot or just shows a little bit more composure, I think. Evan have no problems there, but yeah, well, um, that's that wasn't even the first time he did it. I think he had done it a few times, and I just kept saying to myself, like he just kept tapping the ball into the middle of the box every time he tried yeah. to clear it. I'm like, just clear the ball. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I was I was frustrated with me at points as yeah. well um, because yeah, I agree that that goal doesn't happen if he clears it with his other foot. Um, obviously, Gomish being the other the other player who who underwhelmed. Um, yeah, Godfrey. Oh, yeah. so I think you're looking at it now and think probably, you know, when Mason Holgate's back, I think he will come in. And I think yeah. probably looking at Gary Mina being the one who drops out. Yeah. I think, I think Ancelotti trusts Michael Keane a bit more than he does Gary Mina as well. Um, and Michael Keane hasn't done anything to warrant being dropped. And although Gary Mina's been good for the best part of the season, um, you'd still probably say he's more deserving of losing his place than Keane is. Yeah, and like we said before, I don't think they're a really viable partnership in terms of they're quite similar, similar defenders, aren't they? So, yeah, no, absolutely. I also want to, oh, I just want to mention that uh, one Godfrey did fa- absolutely fantastic, and you noticed uh, about ten minutes after he came in. However, they flipped Richarlison to his side for a little bit and helped give him a little more defensive cover and put Yamez <laughs> out on the left, where they were like, "All right, Luca Dean can handle." But those are those little things that sometimes you know. Being able to say to somebody like Richarlison, we're going to flip you because of your continued work rate, which, you know, is uh, and, and getting that out of him and getting that protection and letting Godfrey find the groove. And, you know, we're not sitting here talking about Mane um, and, and what a wonderful game he had. And that's uh, a credit. Um, so it's going to be interesting what uh, what happens, especially in the next few weeks. Godfrey's might looks like he might just get a little run here playing a few matches at at right back. Luckily it's not too congested of a situation where he'll be too tired. Uh, but um, yeah. yeah, he, he was, uh, he was really fantastic. Um, and Yama is really, again, you know, we, <laughs> I think we're almost, it's that we're like four or five weeks in and it's like ho-hum because you almost expect <laughs> him to do some of the things he put, he put Calvert Lewin through that got the corner that led to, you know, uh, uh, Michael Keane's goal. And then the ball, the switch ball that he hit to Luca Dean, to put him in to open up the space, you know, that, that allowed him into to cross in for the, the goal was, uh, you know, those are things that you pay for, or in our case, I guess you don't pay for. <laughs> Shout out to Marcel Varane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, they um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, Godfrey. You know, there was multiple times where you know, as as a central defense midfielder, as a center back, or someone who typically plays those position, you don't expect them to be able to get forward. But there was one, you know, about 10, 15 minutes, I think, after he came on, where he just flew up the right side and ended up create, you know, passing to somebody who created a chance. I was like, okay, like that, that that's pretty solid. Didn't expect that. Um, but yeah, I think he he played really well at right back. Obviously, um, you know, especially for a derby um, coming in your first match off the bench. You know, after the captain goes off injured, you know, it's a tough role to fill, um, especially against a, a Liverpool team who has those those pacey wingers and 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 outside backs. Um, but um, really good job by him. In terms of Gomesh, uh, just to kind of um, you know add to his um, you know put some stats to how poor he was uh, the other day. Um, just 77%, uh, some 77.8% of his passes were completed. Uh, and somebody in his role that's, you know, can't have that. Um, somebody who's playing his role. So, um, you know, it's, 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 it's difficult. Um, you know, obviously not a great game from him, but, you know, great games from other people. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, um, now scored in each of Everton's um, first five league games, which I believe is the first person to do that. Tommy Lawton was the last in the late 30s. Yes, exactly. Tommy Lawton was the last one, and and he's the first person in the Premier League era, I believe, to to do that. Um, so, um, really, I mean, he's been phenomenal. His finishing has been, you know, you look at his finishing two years ago compared to where it is now and his positioning and – it's really, it's really been um, an unbelievable transformation for him, um, you know. So always, you know, as someone who's support, as somebody who's supported him since you know two, three years ago when he first came on, and, and always felt like he could be the guy. Um, you know, great to see him do do well as well. Um, obviously, you know, some of this stuff, some of these stats coming from Pete's five five stats that he he posts um, on the website every single. Um, Every single, uh, you know, after every single game, um, just some other things. Obviously, we talked about Pickford's lucky day, um, three gate saves, but saved by VAR twice. Um, this is a cool thing that I thought um, Pete mentioned. Comeback kids, another two goal response. Uh, EFC Stato had it posted a chart here um, after Everton conceded the the goals conceded in Everton's 2020-2021 uh, uh, season. And they, you know, after conceding, they, you know, against West Brom, they were down one nothing. proceeded to score two goals to go up 2-1, and then were tied 2-2, scored three goals after that. I feel like that's been something that, you know, um, has been a has been a, a huge factor of Everton is their, their ability to come back, their ability to get back in games and, um, you know, have that mentality, which they probably ha- they haven't had in a very long time, so. Um, yeah. really I mean, it's good. also his progress as well. Though it's like um, you know, I know we didn't win the, the street came to an end, but um, I would still consider Saturday like a step in the right direction, just because, like you say, like the way we fought back, we didn't lose heart after falling behind twice. Yeah. Um, you know, you can you can imagine maybe previous years maybe would have lost by a couple of goals. I think Michael Keane said that even in his interview after the game. Um, there's obviously a lot more resilience about the seventh team, and I think that's a testament to 
not just like the change in style from Ancelotti, but also the change in mentality that he's brought. And you know, yeah. again, that speaks to good coaching and and uh, good good management. So I don't I don't see it as like a step backwards just because we didn't win again on uh, on Saturday. You know. Yeah. yeah no, um, Brian. Anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, like you said, the ability to come back uh, says a lot. And having the self-belief, which we obviously do, um, you know, there there seemed to be genuine leadership on the field, which is something that had been completely, you know, ha- has been vacant, um, you know, and, and that we, we made the, the little adjustments, um, you know, that we needed. And, uh, you know, even when we went down um, – you know, uh, two to one, you didn't feel like it was over or that we needed something to happen, that we were going to create our own luck. And I think that that's a big difference than the past, which is, hey, if we can, you know, get down one time, get a corner, maybe we can score off of it. It's like, hey, let's just keep playing. I mean, we played, we tried to play the same game that we've been playing against other teams. And I think that that's a big difference between this and other seasons where we were a, how are we going to play this match team, you know? Uh, and, um, and so it was nice to see us actually, you know, put stuff together and, and have the depth too, where when our subs came on, you didn't completely wince as well. Um, you know, these are, those are tough matches to come into. Um, and I, and I think our overall development, it, it, it hurts me to say might be helped out a little bit by happening in a vacuum, mm-hmm. you know, because we're just focused on playing the soccer that the manager wants. You know, there's been, there's no other, well, I got, uh, you know, caught up with the fans or I got caught up in the emotion of the moment, you know, which, again, makes Richarlison's kind of worse, to be honest with you, because <laughs> that is purely from driven within. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but I think that that's a, a big difference that, you know, we've had the ability to, you know, a lot of these were playing well and they're, you know, people call them training sessions or whatever. But I think in reality, the adjustment has been made by a lot of teams. And I think we've made that adjustment better than a lot of teams have. You see the people who almost need that jolt, you know, uh, the Leicesters, the Sheffield Uniteds, who uh, almost depend upon riding that crest of emotion that they create with their own, you know, expectation ratio kind of kind of deal. And it's going to be, I can't wait to see our fans come back and now, into an environment in which it's kind of like, all right, we've reset things. Here you go. You know, here's your new product that you're, that you get to cheer on. You know, the difference between now and when, you know, leaving in March just couldn't be, uh, couldn't be greater. But I think as a fan, when you feel like your team might come back, that is a whole different element too. You know, I didn't, I won't say I expected us to, but I felt like we could do it. Like we had enough options, you know, that there were enough different ways that we could find it. And we have Dominic Calvert-Lewin who, I mean that that guy is really just good you know, to me. Yeah, fun. no, he really is, and I think that developing in the way that he's developed in the ways that I think people talk about it being difficult to develop at his age. He's become a better finisher, um, you know, not just obviously with his head, etc. Um, but he just again he exudes that that calmness and confidence, even his celebrations. Right, like as excited as he is. He's not losing his head, and right now he should be on cloud nine. And if he were playing for, honestly, any other team, I think people would be out of their mind at what he could even continue to become. He's still so young. In two or three years, you know, what kind of player is he? And if we can give him the vehicle where 
we're not having the discussion on, all right, how much are we going to sell them for guys? You know, and, and it's at that time. Um, and we can also take the credit of having genuinely developed him and take him to the next level as well. You know, we, you know, we didn't develop him as a youth for sure. And that was a different stage of his career. But the fact that we were able to sign him at that age, play him at Premier League two games for, you know, a brief bit and then work him to this level uh, is, a, is a credit to the club as well. You know, it's hard to keep confidence as a young striker. You know, we've got a laundry list of them that we have, uh, that we have signed and, and shipped back out in ways keen um, that, <laughs> that have happened, uh, you know. So uh, it, it's incredible that he's just, you know, through all the changes, right, and, and he's come out the better for it at the other end. And, um, and, and having somebody like that who can score so many different ways is something that we have missed since Lukaku. You know, honestly, that's, he's, I'm not saying he's prime, you know, Rom yet, but, but, hey, he might score a header. He might run in behind. Yeah, he might yeah, play they're, one too. And, and they're, they're, you know, they're different players. Obviously, Rom with the team he had around him, he kind of did everything on his own, much more physical. Whereas Dominic Arvaluen, he kind of just seems to be in the right spot at the right time. Always seems to be – his positioning always seems to be really good. Um, obviously, the fact that he can jump literally out of Goodison Park probably helps him a little bit on those headers. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's he's unbelievable. You know, you just got to hope that it continues for him because, um, you know, he's soaking it in and just loving every moment of it. And, and this is what he's worked so hard for. And, you know, to see somebody, like you said, that came up through the ranks, um, obviously big credit to, to Big Dunk. Um, obviously has done, done a good, good job with Calvert-Lewin, and I feel like they talk about that every single game. Um, but, you know, big credit to him and, and a really, you know, Really good stuff from Dominic Calvert-Lewin. But, um, you know, that's really – I think that's it. You know, as many talking points as there were, I think that's that's all we got for the, the Liverpool match. Um, we're going to take a quick break here, but after we come back from this ad break, we are going to hit on some Everton news. All right, welcome back. Now we're going to talk a little bit about some of the other things happening around Everton um, – I guess on the pitch and off the pitch, obviously the women's team still uh, out there participating as well. They drew uh, 2-2 with Brighton, um, Hoven Al- Brighton and Hove Albion on Sunday. Um, let me just pull up the match. Yeah, I, actually watched, uh, I actually watched a fair bit of that match. What did you think? Really good. We deserved, yeah, we deserved, uh, we deserved more, than, uh, more than a point out of it. And if you have not seen – the goal that Lizzie Christensen scored, please <laughs> go right now and find it. Um, if you can catch it, she scored from like yesterday. She was so far <laughs> out and uh, uh, no, they, they played really well. And again, I think, it, you know, you look at the women's side and it's about lead. you know, I'm not going to take away the, the credit from the women on the field, but you know, we, uh, Willie Kirk has really set, I think a tone with the women of, of expectation for play you know, the, the signings that we've made have improved the team. We were able to lose Chloe Kelly and not uh, take a big step back. Um, you know, and so uh, credit to them. I think that they're – and they play a uh, an attacking brand of uh, of soccer as well. They play an enjoyable – you know, we're not they're, – uh, they're not hoofing it. We don't have a, a, a super speedster up top. We're looking to play through the – through the levels and everything like that. It's uh, – it was, it was enjoyable to watch over the, over the weekend and so – yeah, and they got, two cents on that draw. Yeah, and they got they've obviously got 
two-week break now because um, the next game is obviously the cup final uh, against Man City on the 1st of November, which seems ridiculous to play Everton's game against Newcastle at the same time as the women's game against Man City, but hey-ho. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's still, I guess, you know, it's disappointing they didn't win. Um, but, you know, like like Brian was saying, there's like, uh, people like Christensen, you know, coming back um, to Everton, it made such a difference. Valigo Van again scored. Um, still unbeaten. Their, their sort of commitment to mimicking Everton, the men's team results is uh, <laughs> pretty impressive, isn't it? Four, four wins and one one two two draw. So um, they're not top, are they? Because I think Arsenal have got a hundred percent record and still leading the way. But I don't think they could have uh, predicted just what a good start they've had. Really, because I mean, last year they finished strongly before it was curtailed, but, but you know, ended up kind of mid-table. Maybe hoping for like Champions League, like we're saying with Ian. But the way they've started, hopefully, maybe they can push even higher than that. And hopefully, it would be great if they could get a piece of silver, wouldn't it, as well? Because that would, um, you know, maybe even, you know, maybe inspire the men's team as well to make it a double. So um, I think, yeah, you've got to give a lot of credit to Willie Kirk, who I think has really kind of revolutionised the, the women's team as well. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know. Positive-ish result, I guess, for the women's team on on Sunday. Um, yeah, I feel like every time we talk about uh, the Everton women's team, we also talk about Govin, who's seemingly scored in, in a lot of the matches as well. So, um, you know, really good from really good from her. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's impressive to see how they're playing as well. And like you said, Matthew, it's good to see um, them kind of sort of mimicking the uh, the men's team, and hopefully, it continues that way. Hopefully. They can both stay unbeaten as long as they possibly can um, and continue to, uh, you know, kind of, you know, bring uh, maybe bring bring a couple trophies to Everton um, sometime soon. Obviously, like you mentioned, Matthew, with the, the final coming up, hopefully that, uh, you know, hopefully they bring a trophy home from there and uh, we're rooting for them. Um, obviously, an, another big story that not only affects Everton, but everybody in the Premier League project, big picture, rejected. Um, we discussed this last week with Tom, but um, Brian, what were your opinions on Project Big Picture and kind of, um, you know, the whole plan and 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 what you what you thought of it before it ended up being rejected? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's the uh, I think it's a trial balloon. Um, I don't think that they expected it to be uh, you know embraced by the the community. Uh, you know, globally or even domestically, but I think that they were just kind of putting out there of, uh, as people who sit at the top of the pyramid, here is generally where we're willing to start our side of the negotiation since uh, it feels like um, the the lower tiers, the EFL, have, have been pretty clear about how much they need and when they need it to make sure that some of the teams stay out of trouble. And it was kind of, okay, that's, you know, this is kind of a, a way that we'd be willing to chip in, um, you know, below. I won't, uh, I won't pretend to know the, um, the ins and outs of the, uh, you know, kind of the, the domestic political situation and how it, you know, fits into everything as well. But, uh, you know, it, it just felt like this is the first stage towards a little bit where things may be headed. If, and I'm not saying that it's what people are willing to do, but, you know, I heard somebody say, 
and maybe Matthew can give a much better reflection on this. Uh, you know, what were people's responses when the Premier League was launched? If that makes sense, it's easy to say how successful it is now. But, yeah. you know, Matthew, how did, how, did people, how did people respond to the initial idea of, like, hey, here's how we're going to restructure the Premier League? Excuse me for asking the question. No, no, here, well, I mean, I <laughs> no, no, it's okay. I wasn't, I wasn't, um, I wasn't born for another seven years, so um, I'll do my best to kind of just give you a taste of what I know about it. Basically, I think Premier League was much more widely supported um, because of the financial incentive, basically. Um, this idea that you could you know, break off from the, the Football League. Um, but basically, seen this is kind of big cash cow, which, you know, a lot of... Uh, I think the FA kind of spearheaded it as well, and uh, you know, pretty much every team uh, in the first division bought into it and uh, joined and this is very different in terms of obviously Liverpool Manchester United tabled it but it, it was kind of unanimously thrown out yeah. so I don't think there's quite the same appetite for it but what I would say is that I, I don't think it I think maybe these clubs have kind of won the battle but not the war yet in terms of I expect this to come back in a different form maybe you know revised to with you know new proposals because like we said some some of them are not bad proposals in isolation like you know the bailout to the EFL clubs at a time when they really need the money is important because um, I think we saw I think the Preston chairman last week said he thinks you know six championship clubs could could fo- uh, could fold without some sort of financial injection whether that be from letting fans in or from you know the Premier League or whatever so that's fine but it's just like the consequence of doing that is giving even more power and autonomy to clubs who already have enough of that as it is. So um, I think this will come back, maybe not as uh, extreme or radical as this one was perceived to be, but, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that it got such, you know, widespread disapproval. And <laughs> I also like the fact that Denise Barrett-Baxendale, uh, our chief exec, demanded an apology of... Liverpool's uh, chief exec Tom Werner and Man United's vice chairman Ed Woodward, which was not forthcoming. Yeah, uh, I, least, think, I think Liverpool's yeah. was John Henry. I'm pretty sure. Well, no, I think he, I think he tabled it, but I think at the meeting, I think it was Tom Werner, the chief oh, exec, yeah, yeah. who asked for an apology off him and Ed Woodward, which did not come. But you know, but as you mentioned, I'd love to try it. <laughs> some of these, some of these clubs are drowning, and you know, eventually, you know, that lifeline, whatever reform it takes, they're going to have to take it. You know, and uh, and I think they're, I think if if I'm, excuse me, I think Man U, those Liverpool teams are looking past the rest of those mid-table Premier League teams. They're not looking to join up with them. They're looking to, uh, you know, the. Uh, the, um, the, that next level down, you know, those championship teams and saying, hey, we can help you. You know, it's these pesky teams in between us that won't let us get you the money. Yeah. And I think that, like you said, if there's championship teams that are folding, then what are happening to the League One and the League Two teams? And if there's money available, you know, you, you, uh, <laughs> you get in the raft or you take that, that lifeline and you worry about the, uh, you know, what it's going to cost you uh, later, you know, and that we can get into the business business ethics of all of that later perhaps of you know them taking advantage of uh, of a covid situation but you know economics are economics and the reality is the reality so you know and and i think that you can have people that don't like it uh but if they find out that their club is either going to have to vote for whatever the new plan is 
or fold, all of a sudden you will find fans that are going to have to say, hey, I just want to have a team to root for in three years. So, you know, I'll, I'll worry about what Man U and Liverpool get from it anyway. We're not catching them in the next few years. Yeah. Um, so, I think it feels know, like that. Yeah, yeah, it was like death by a thousand cuts doing this way, isn't it? Right. Uh, yeah. Just like slowly bleeding these clubs dry for your own gain, which, like we said last week, is not the way that the English pyramid is designed. It's not what makes it great. And it makes, you know, I think we risk never seeing like another Leicester story again or, you know, Bournemouth and Wigan, teams like that, because, you know, it becomes so condensed and so, so predictable, I guess, as well. Um, and that's not what. English football kind of the unique that's not English football sign of the unique selling point is it so aside from like the financial aspects of it I just think as a spectacle it will you'll get diminishing returns from this as well so like I said I'm glad it's gone but I don't know I think it'll come back so yeah want to hold your breath yeah yeah and, and just uh you know if anybody out there is looking for a good book to read on how the Premier League started I read a book called uh, The Club How the English Premier League Became the Wildest Richest Most Disruptive Force in Sports Really good detail, like actually one of the best books um, I've ever read, um, just kind of about how the Premier League started and those meetings, what happened inside those original meetings, and then um, how it got to where it is today. But um, Project Big Picture, I, th- I think, you know, from reading that book and kind of seeing the response to Project Big Picture, a little bit different of a response. Um, but we'll see how it plays out. I'm sure there will be a, a counter um, by those top clubs to um, get this deal across the line, what that will include. We don't know yet, but I'm sure we will find out um, in due time. Um, final thing to talk about here with Everton news, obviously the EFL transfer window shut. So, uh, you know, officially no more players going in or out of Everton. Um, go ahead, Brian. Oh yeah. No, um, just, you know, that's it for Everton. No more transfer business. Um Callum Connolly loaned to Fleetwood Town for the second time in 2020. Um, and then Shani Tereshai uh, also, um, he, he was, his, his loan was canceled at the, the Dutch side he was playing for, Emin, and um, he was now released by the club um, after that. So just a couple players who, um, just a couple players who, who went out for Everton before that EFL transfer window shut. I think we were expecting a little bit more, but Matthew, um, thoughts, you know, uh, everything. You know, Yannick Velassi lives to survive out of the window, uh, <laughs> as well as, you know, Besic, Pennington, uh, anyone else? I don't think so. so um, no, I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, I think, I don't know if every club has these kind of dead wood where, you know, you kind of need to trim the fat off the wage bill, but. Something seems like Everton have a lot and a lot of the same players. You know, uh, Matthew Pennant is 26 and he's still in the reserves. Uh, I don't think Conley's got a future Everton. I think maybe, again, if you're not going to play these players, maybe best to loan them out because you're more likely to command a fee. Um, not sure when Conley's contract is up, but uh, Tarashai never worked, did it? I mean, he was one of Martinez's signings. No, Martinez picking him up and then. Ronald Koeman took one look at him in pre-season and then loaned him out and then never to be seen again. So, uh, yeah, I, mean, I feel a bit sorry for people like Belassi and Bessic who obviously couldn't get moves. Whether they still have time to go abroad, if any transfer transfer windows still open abroad, I don't know. But um, I guess that's the reality that you're left with when you give players, you know, bloated contracts. 
Wait, did Umar move on, or is he still? Umar, Umar got released. In- oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. I'm sorry, I totally, I know. See, poor guy. Um, uh, well, <laughs> he still hasn't got a club though, so maybe yeah. Evan, Evan obviously saw up for striking out. Moise Keane's gone, so you know they need, they need to give him a call. I'm sure. <laughs> If I had to say one thing about this window, and I, I'm not sure that it was, it was a bit out of control, but especially now with the signing of Godfrey, is that I wish Jared Branchwaith would have gotten off to a loan uh, because now we've got a lot of depth at center back. Um, you know, you can have Luca Dean as your fifth center back as opposed to your fourth center back, and that's okay. And we, we could have gotten uh, him off now. I think with his ankle injury, it just put it difficult to, to find a team that was going to take him on. And maybe they just decided that I think it's only like something like 65 days, no, less than that, 62 days until the next window. So maybe they just decided, hey, spend the next two months, we'll get you healthy, and then we'll have that next window to maybe get you into a, you know, some pre or some, uh, you know, lower league games. Because that's exactly what for me, we're not instead of playing 28 year olds on our Premier League two league team, you know, having a, a 19 year old center back be able to come in and, you know, work on his, his health there. But that that's, if the season winds up with him only getting like three or four games and I'll be very disappointed because he was really, really good in the restart for me. And he showed a lot of promise and somebody who can allow us to sell on in the, the next year or two, somebody like Amina or Akeen and keep that kind of cycle going that all of a sudden we have some real, real good uh, young center back. So uh, outside of that, um, you know, we could have trimmed a little more fat, but it sort of seems like it's a lot better than it used to be uh, with some of those, some of the, you know, the people that we did get rid of for sure. Yeah, no, it, um, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's difficult. Obviously Yannick Balassi, um, he, he had, I guess, a Middlesbrough move that looked like it was going to get done. Just the paperwork didn't get in on time. Um, again, would have liked to see a couple more players go out, not because, um, you know, we don't like them. It's not that, you know, Besic or Blassi have ever done anything to us or for, for us to, for us to dislike them. But, um, you know, um, it's probably good for the player and for the club for them to get out and get to a different club and, you know, maybe able, maybe be able to, uh, log some minutes, um, you know, elsewhere, um, and at least play some football. Um, so obviously Connolly out there, um, the, the, the Tereshi loan, did not work out in their favor. I mean, obviously, what did we pick him up when he was like 16 or 17, I think, when we went back when Martinez got him and, and just honestly have never – I honestly – you don't hear about – you haven't heard about him in, since then. Um, so, um, you know, a lot of things um, – a lot of good things came from the transfer window, and I think that's what we need to focus on. Obviously, would have liked some other things to happen, but like you said, 60 days to the next transfer window – I'm sure some players will be out then um, or on loan. Um, you know, who knows what happens with uh, Tosun. I don't, I don't know if he's healthy or getting healthy or, um, you know, will be healthy by the January transfer window. He might be another player that goes out if that's the case. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. But that's it for the transfer window. No more business in or out for Everton, I don't believe. Um, so this is the team we got. These are the guys we got. And, I, you know, I think – Every Everton fan will tell you, especially after the start, um, that they're that they're pretty happy with that. Um, before we head into a preview of Southampton versus Everton, we're going to take another quick break. Um, but after that, we will be back. All 
All right, back with the Southampton versus Everton preview. Obviously, this game taking place Sunday, October 25th at 2 p.m. British Standard Time. I believe that's, what, 9 a.m. over here, I think, on the East Coast. Um, so uh, an early game there. Um, first time in a while that we haven't had to play um, a game midweek, uh, at least without the international break. Um, so, um, we'll be well rested for sure. After that match against Liverpool, Southampton in the premier league so far, they played five, one, two, um, drawn one, um, and lost two. Um, they drew on Saturday versus Chelsea three, three in a very similar match. I think, were they down three, nothing at one point or down two nil, two nil. Yeah. yeah. You no, know, obviously yeah. a little kept bit. Kept kept the things. Yeah. Kept, yeah, exactly. I said in the, uh, I said in the Slack chat and in our Slack chat that, it, you know, every time Kepa does something, it makes us remind, it reminds us that we didn't at least didn't spend 70 million pounds on Pickford when he makes mistakes. So, um, you know, uh, I guess a good draw for Southampton there, uh, but, you know, kind of evenly distributed between wins, losses, and draws there. Um, last season when we played Southampton, we beat them 2-1 in November and then tied 1-1 after the restart in July. Um, let's start here. Um, Thoughts on Southampton, Matthew? I think a good, um, good team. I think they've got a great manager in Harlan who, um, who you know, obviously kind of took a while to get his ideas across. Obviously, losing nine at Leicester seems to have kind of been the catalyst in some ways. Um, at least after they lost to us a couple of weeks after. Um, you've got obviously got probably one of the best striker outside the top six after Calvert Lewin. Unless we're, unless we're now in the top six because we are first, but um, Danny Ings is certainly one that scored in both those games last season and is someone Evan will have to obviously be wary of. Um, uh, got a great dead ball specialist in James Ward Prowse. They've got you know wingers like Nathan Redmond who are maybe not that consistent, but on the day can be very dangerous players. Um, so. I think it's a winnable game for Everton, but I think you've got to be mindful that Southampton, we should say as well, Southampton's home record last year was awful. I mean, I think we had like the worst home record in the league after Norwich or something. Uh, but their away record was really, it was like fourth or fifth best in the league. So, um, well, they, didn't, they got battered by Tottenham and they beat West Brom at home. So, um, maybe you can't read too much into that, but um, we're a better team than Southampton, so we shouldn't go there with any fear, really. Uh, Colin Ancelotti doesn't strike me as the type of manager who concentrates on like other teams' strengths. It will concentrate on our own team's strengths and where we need to improve. So um, I'm quite confident about this one. Um, I certainly don't think Everton will lose it. Um, and I think we should go there and, if they're with the, with the away side, you know, try and impose ourselves on Samson. And maybe I can see it could maybe kind of similar game to the Crystal Palace game, you know, quite gritty, quite tight, but. Uh, I would fancy Everton for this one. Uh, Brian? Yeah, I think Matthew covered Southampton, and you'll notice how he didn't mention any names in the center of the midfield, and and I think that that's where it's going to be a bit, you know, their loss of Hoiberg. They really lost kind of their engine, you know, people like Romeo who had a great goal and everything uh, over the course of 90 minutes up against an Allen and a Ducore. Uh you know, are not invincible, but again, you know, that that's, I think, their weakest point. Everybody that you mentioned being, whether their threats are solid generally um, or out wide, 
Um, you know, they have big center backs. Vestergaard's a big guy. Um, but uh, they don't – they're not great lateral movements. So, I think we'll see them actually uh, – I think especially against Calvert-Lewin. And that's where – how do we play without Richarlison? We'll, we'll have a lot to do with it. Do we play, you know, with, with the way he cheats up as, um, you know, off the left side or does somebody like an Awobi or Bernard stick more to the left and keep Calvert-Lewin as a true uh, striker? We'll, uh, we'll, we'll see a lot. I think that's how they'll go with it personally. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that they, I think, you know, uh, player for player were there. Um, they can't have Theo play, right? Because no. – it's alone. So I think that's a big one, honestly, because that's just kind of the, the kind of player, you know, like a hot Theo Walcott, we can laugh and we can sit here and we can joke. And, um, but I'll give the guy credit that I think he helped bridge a gap of respectability from, uh, you know, that, that got us all the way to, uh, to Carlo Ancelotti. But, you know, without him, he was a, he was a big difference maker for them uh, this weekend when he came on, mm-hmm. uh, and at, you know, he was pretty massive there. So, uh, I, you know, if we show up and we play, it'll be interesting at right back too. Uh, you know, I don't expect to see Seamus Coleman. Uh, usually when you grab your hamstring, it's usually more than a week. Um, you know, even yeah. if you're just being cautious and with only three games to go, maybe they just say to Ben Godfrey, Hey, you, uh, you know, you line up there and if we get into a pinch, we can play with three in the back. Luca Dean can be a center back, uh, you know, and tuck in and we can, you know, they, they can make some adjustments, but. I think that'll be one thing to keep an eye on that may dictate how we play a little bit because Jamez depends on support coming from behind him to keep defenders honest, right? Or else uh, they'll be able to kind of press him up a little bit. So, Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, great point there and, and kind of leads into just really how do we expect to line up? Obviously, Seamus Cohen probably injured. Um, Andre Gomes, not a great game last time out. Obviously, Richarlison out with the red card, um, you know, Real quick, what are you guys seeing in those positions? Do we think Gomez is going to be out? Who's going to replace with Charleston? Matthew, we'll, we'll, we'll go to you. We don't we don't play with a number 10, so I, I think that probably – you're going to stick with that midfield. So I think it probably rules out it will be all Bernard replacing Gomez. It's either Gomez or Sigurdsson. Yeah. Um, and while I think Sigurdsson has been decent when he's come on this year, so I still wouldn't trust him to start Premier League games because <laughs> – I think Sigurdsson has been better as a sub because by the time he comes on, the pace of the game has slowed down because players just naturally lose energy and tire from you know playing playing for an hour or, or so. Um, Gomez isn't quick either, but I just think he's more suited to starting games than Sigurdsson. Yeah, uh, and I think Gomez has been good. I know Gomez had a few critics, but I think apart from Saturday, I think he's been good this season. Um, and you know, why would you would you really want to break up? You know, the, the team with the best points return just for. I don't think Sigurdsson will make a massive difference that, you know, it's worth, you know, jettisoning Gomez. Um, I would stick with Gomez personally. Godfrey at right back for me if Coleman and John Joe Kenny are still out. Um, and then with Richarlison, I would like to see Anthony Gordon because I think he's the most natural replacement for Richarlison. Alex Iwobi isn't a winger, Bernard's not a winger. Uh, Anthony Gordon is probably the only other natural winger we've got besides Richarlison now. Uh, so that makes the most sense to me. However, I, I think it's more likely that it will be will play there. Yeah. Um, because obviously, Antofi's turned to him a few times off the bench. Um, so 
not holding out a lot of hope for Gordon, but I'd like to see him get the start there. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, that, that I think is, is a good enough team to, to beat Southampton. Uh, Brian? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Gordon. I would like to see more of Gordon, but I also at this point trust Ancelotti. He's given him some runs out early in the season. So, you know, we know that he's not, uh, you know, I, I, I would have no doubt that he's kind of, but I think he'll appear on the bench and hopefully, you know, make it take advantage of that opportunity to get him some more time. I yeah. think you'll see a Wobie there. I think you'll see Godfrey go to right back. Um, and honestly, I think this is the game to play Gilfie if, you, if you're going to start him. Um, as I mentioned, their midfield, the Southampton midfield, shouldn't be stretching us too much vertically uh, versus even Newcastle, who is a, you know, has a few more legs in the middle of the field and obviously Man U. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Gilfie start this game because if we can play 60% of it, and their half, you know, that does suit his strength of finding those through balls. He did play well over the international window. And with no midweek games, I think Ancelotti has a lot of respect for him. He's going to keep him in the rotation. And, and so I think if we're going to see him, I would like to see him now. And then Gomez gets a real good break and, uh, and comes back, um, you know, but everything else should, should generally uh, say the same. One thing I would add as well is maybe, uh, obviously, we don't, we don't have a striker on the bench at the moment. Maybe... You know, that's with a view to moving Richarlison up front um, if Calvert-Lewin got injured or whatever. So, obviously, with Richarlison out, I think maybe I wouldn't be too surprised maybe if someone like Ellison has got a call up to the bench now as well. Because um, we don't really have anyone else who can play up front besides Calvert-Lewin. Um, so, that's yeah something else to look out for maybe on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll be interesting to see how, how it plays out. Um, I think I'm with all of you guys. I think I'm with a lot of majority. Uh, Anthony Gordon would be great to see out there on the wing, but I think it will be Alex Wobie. Um, I don't know. I don't know about Gomesh. Um, maybe he, you know, you know. I, I think that just the Liverpool game might have just been too much for him. Um, but I think, like Matthew said, I think he's played decently well throughout the um, throughout the season. So I'm not sure we see a change there. And then Godfrey at right back is probably what happens. Um, real quick, before we uh, – before we, we wrap this thing up, predictions. Brian, we'll start with you. Uh, I am notorious for being pessimistic in my pick so that I'm either right or happy if I'm wrong. Um, but I think uh, at this point, I, even I have a little bit of faith that we'll, we'll go in there and get the win at uh, two to one. Matthew? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Can I tell you a funny story quickly? I went to, I went to Southampton away every all three years I was at uni first first time was like a 10 hour round trip where we lost 1-0 with a goal conceded in the first minute uh, the second one was that awful 4-1 defeat under David Unsworth and then the last one was uh, 2-1 defeat in the silver where we played terribly uh, as well and obviously this year we can't go so um, with me not being there I'm kind of more inclined to go for an Everton win <laughs> on that basis <laughs> Um, we, did win, we did win there last year, to be fair. Um, we won there 2 1, I think maybe 2 1 again, because I still don't really trust us to clean, keep clean sheets, but I do trust yeah. us to score quite a few goals. So 2 1. Yeah, I'm going to go just to switch it up. I'm going to go 3 1. I'm, I'm in agreement. I don't think we we keep clean sheet, but I think uh, maybe we get we get a nice, uh, we, we get a few goals. So that's it. That's the, the episode. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, nice to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Great to have you. And Matthew, as always, thank you. Thank you. Thank you you to everybody out there um, for listening. 
Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast uh, if you like it so you get that download every week. Um, that's it for us. We'll talk to you guys next week.